You can go ahead and grab a seat. I want to welcome you to Mariner's Church. Can we thank Trilogy one more time for being with us? So good. Great. If you are a guest with us this weekend at Mariner's, so, so glad that you chose to worship with us. My name's Eric. If we haven't met yet, I'm the senior pastor. Really glad that you're with us today. We are finishing today a series on relationships. It was a, a quick three-week series, and so I want to give you a heads up on what's coming today and then also in the next couple of weeks. We are going to end this service a little differently than, than how we normally end our worship services. Every single week, uh, if you're new here, you may want to know this, every week, anything going on in your life, we want to pray with you, and we're available to pray with you. We always have people at the end of our services right over there by those lights. We also have an elder prayer room where our elders will pray over you for healing, any type of healing in your life. But this weekend, we're going to not have the wall or the elder prayer room. We're actually going to have our pastors and our shepherding elders and our prayer team all standing down front at the end of our service and even during the music time at the end to pray with you over anything going on in your life. And here's why we're doing it is because we realize that we've raised some issues these last three weeks as we're talking about relationships. And relationships, while they're so important in our lives and they bring us a lot of joy, they also have brought a lot of pain in our lives. In fact, the majority of pain that we face comes from broken relationships. So we don't wanna just bring up these things and then not be available to pray with you. And so at the end of our service, just a heads up, we're gonna have a, an extended time of prayer here at, 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 the, at the front. And then next week, we are gonna start a new teaching series. It's in your bulletin, you can see information. We are joining Christians all around the world. I know this is crazy because it feels like we just celebrated Christmas, but Easter is only eight weeks away. And so for the next, starting next weekend, Many people, many Christians have called this period uh, leading up to Easter, the 40 days leading up to Easter Lent. Other Christians have referred to it as a journey to Easter. Here's what we're going to do here at Mariners for those seven weeks. We're going to be in a series called A Better Way to Live. We're going to study, wait for it, I know, I know your, your whole life you've thought, I want to study this. We're going to study the seven deadly sins. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to look at, um, why are we doing that? Well, because the weeks leading up to Easter... It, this is what Christians have done historically. We've looked at the struggles that we have, but we've looked at them in light of the reality that Jesus is on the cross for us and that Jesus didn't stay on the cross, but he rose again from the dead. So we're gonna look at the seven deadly sins over seven weeks, but we're not gonna spend a lot of time or the, the whole time looking at the vice. We're really gonna look at the flip side of the better way to live, that God has a better way for us to live. Not to live that way, but he has a better way. And you've probably said that before. You've probably said, man, there's gotta be a better approach than this. There's gotta be a better way to life than this. And so we're gonna do that. We're gonna study that for seven weeks. If you look in your bulletin, we have devotionals for you. So if you wanna get a daily email devotional to help you in the journey, this is an important time as we go towards Easter. And so you can actually sign up for a daily email that will be a devotional to help you focus your thoughts on God. If you're not yet in a group here at Mariners, we have connect groups, which means you'll be in a group for just seven weeks with people around the same content that we're talking about in the weekend, which means if you don't like those people, you can bail at the end of seven weeks and nobody will. But then it's possible that group would become an, an ongoing group. But today we're going to wrap up this series on, on relationships. There is a museum that is a pop-up museum. It's an exhibit, this traveling exhibit 
all around the world. It goes to cities, global cities around the world. And there actually was only two permanent locations of this museum. One, it started in Croatia. And the second was in, was in Hollywood till it just shut down a couple of years ago. And the museum is the Museum of Broken Relationships. It's actually a museum. And how is there a museum of broken relationships? What do they display? Well, people submit artifacts or um, pieces of memorabilia that remind them of their broken relationships and they give them to the museum. And so people walk through all of these exhibits and see pictures and memories of other people's broken relationships. This museum also sells beer, just as a heads up. And um, their beer that they sell, here's the advertisement, we have beer as cold as your ex's heart. That's the beer (laughs) that they sell at the Museum of Broken Relationships, right? The Wi-Fi password to get on the network at the museum is just friends, which, oh, when I was in high school, high school student, I hated that term, just friends. Eric, I, I really like you, but we should just be friends, relegated to the friend zone, right? That happened to me too many times in, in high school. But then when you walk through the museum, there's really some painful things that people have on display. Some who have estranged relationships with their parents have submitted trinkets or little gifts that their parents had given them years ago that they held on to and they submitted them to the museum with a description of the gift. Here's another example. This is actually, um, it's called a wedding dress in a jar. It is from a woman in San Francisco whose husband left her after seven years. Terribly sad story. She didn't have a traditional wedding. She had an island wedding and she wanted a dress that she could wear to other occasions in their marriage. And then when he left after seven years, instead of just giving this to a thrift store or throwing the dress away, she stuffed it into a pickle jar and submitted it to the Museum of Broken Relationships. And so that's the kind of thing you see as you walk through. And then when you leave, there's this sculpture. I mean, this is, this is painful, the Museum of Broken Relationships. You walk away in the sculpture depicting how painful that the, this can be in your life to have a relationship that goes wrong. So journalists have asked people as they're leaving this museum, what happened to you as you went there? Was this a good experience? Was this a painful experience to walk through this museum? And some have said it was actually a very cathartic, therapeutic experience for me to see other people processing their pain and their grief from their relationships. And so it was actually helpful for me. Others said, this was so sad. This was so sad. And they walked out of the museum and they said, is this all there is to relationships? Is this what happens for relationships? Is there any hope at all? And maybe you felt that way, even if you haven't gone to the museum. Maybe you had a coworker who you enjoyed working with and you found out that the person was backstabbing you and now you have a hard time trusting coworkers at work. Maybe there was a dating relationship that ended very painfully and very suddenly and you've asked, is this even worth it? Maybe your marriage is struggling or you've gone through the pain of divorce and you wonder, is this what all relationships do? Do they all end up this way? Is this the way it was supposed to be? Well, the Christian story, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, the Christian story actually gives us answers to that question. There are about 1,200 chapters in the Bible, only two chapters in the beginning and three in the end. So only five chapters out of 1,200-ish chapters. Are relationships perfect? 
The other time, they are filled with pain and brokenness. It only was two chapters in the Bible, which is what we're going to look at today, where you see relationships really flourishing. We live now in the middle where there's pain and there's brokenness. But here's the good news. We live in the middle of the Bible, but also in the middle of the Bible is where Jesus comes to fix our broken relationship with God which is broken with God because of our rebellion against God because we wanted to go our own way. But Jesus, the Christian story tells us, came here to fix our broken relationship with God. And when he fixes our broken relationship with God, we can now have healthier. They're not gonna be perfect. They're not going to be perfect in this world, but we can have healthier healthier relationships. But for us to do so, we wanna see it. Why did God create relationships in the first place? Why do they exist? And so I want us to go back to the very beginning of the, of the story, of the Christian story. And you're gonna see that when God created humanity, when he created us, he then real quickly created community. He created relationships. And I want us to see why he did it. Because if we understand why he created relationships, it will help us in our approach to our relationships. Now, these are not, this is not gonna solve all of your relationship pain and all the the struggles that you have. Some of you are in deep pain, not because of anything you've done, because relationship takes multiple people. And so this won't change what the other person has done, but it will help you see relationships, how God intended them to be. So Genesis chapter one, first, first chapter in the Bible, verse 26, the scripture says, and this is when he makes us. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God creates humanity, and they, man and woman, will rule over all of the rest of his creation. Verse 31, drop down to verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. If you have a pen in your Bible open, underline that phrase, very good indeed. Everything is very good. This is when everything's perfect. God creates humanity and everything is right. Everything is flourishing. Everything is as it should be. God says, this is very good indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. We're now in chapter two. The scripture says, so the heavens and the earth and everything in them were, com- were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God creates everything, it's very good. He steps back and he rests, not because he's tired, not because he's expended too much energy, not because he's out of creativity, but because the work is done and it's very good and he steps back and he sees it and he marvels at his own creation. So everything's very good. But then look at verse 14, I mean, verse 18 in chapter two. And this is a bit of a quandary for scholars who study the Bible because God has said everything is very good. But then God says this in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, as he's looking at Adam, the first person he created, God says, as he looks at Adam, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And this is why it is a bit of a quandary is because this is in paradise. Everything is perfect. Adam is in a perfect body, a sinless body, which means it's not decaying. It's not corrupted. He's enjoying this perfect relationship with God. And yet God says it's not good. God has just declared everything to be very good. But then he looks at Adam being alone and he says, it's not good. 
Now, some of us on the introverted, extroverted scale, those of us who lean a bit introverted, this actually sounds like a really great day. You're in paradise, the Garden of Eden, and you're alone. I mean, you have books or Netflix, whatever. I mean, you are just alone. But it's, God says it's not good. It's not good to be alone. Not, not long term, it's not good to be alone. God's not the only one who has declared it's not good for you to be alone. Vivek Murthy was the previous Surgeon General for the United States. And he's a doctor and he studied health problems, health concerns that plague Americans. And he believes the biggest predictor of your declining health, people are shocked by what he declares, but he is on a crusade against loneliness. He believes loneliness is the biggest predictor of declining health in your life. Here's what he wrote. I came to a deeper appreciation for the science behind loneliness, which tells us that loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity. He says, Vedic Murthy, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not only here in the States, in the United Kingdom, they were studying loneliness as it was impacting the mental health and the physical health of people in the United Kingdom. And just last year, they appointed this brand new position, the Minister of Loneliness in the United Kingdom. Tracy Crouch is in this newly appointed position because they found out in their research that there were 6 million people in the United Kingdom who were suffering with the effects and the implications of loneliness. So it's not only the United Kingdom, it's not only the United States. In the Garden of Eden, God says it's not good for you to be alone. In perfection, God says it's not good for you to be alone. In paradise, God says it's not good for you to be alone. And some of you may be wondering, okay, I, I, mm, something doesn't sit right what you're saying because this is perfect paradise. It wasn't America where we have social problems and struggles. It wasn't the United Kingdom. This was the Garden of Eden. Why is it not good for man to be alone? I get that God's saying it, but why? Well, you're not the only one who's asked that. Scholars have debated that for centuries, and they've concluded that the answer is in verse 26 of Genesis 1, that in Genesis 1, we see that God creates us in his image, but I want you to notice the language in a moment, but God creates us in his image, which means this is why we believe as a church that every single person should be treated with dignity, care, and respect, because every single person is created in the image of God, every single person. Which means that God, because he's creative, he created us and we can be creative. Because God is kind and compassionate, he created us and we can be kind and compassionate. But as God looked at Adam in the garden alone, there was a characteristic of God that Adam could not display to the world around him because something was missing. And here's the clue in verse 26. Look at this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Does anything strike you interesting about this verse? We, we, we try to make it super easy for you by highlighting it. <laughs> it's plural, right? Do you see it's plural? God is saying, let us. This is the Christian doctrine of the Trinity in the very first chapter in the Bible. 
The Trinity, if you're, if you're new to the Christian faith, let me try to explain. It's a mystery. It's a paradox. Every illustration falls short. But here's what we believe, that God is one. We worship one God, yet he's three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Every single week at Mariner's Church, we close our service in a prayer of blessing over you, and we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some of you have never stayed for that special moment, but if the... <laughs> Sorry, sorry, sorry. At the end of the service, you experience that every single, every single week here. And here's what we believe when we say that. We're saying that our God is one, but he exists in community. That God didn't become loving when he created you, that God was always loving because he was, the Father was always loving the Son, the Spirit was always loving the Father, that God exists in relationship with himself. Does that make sense? Which means when Adam's alone, that because God exists in this everlasting life group, and Adam's alone, that Adam can't display that character of God. So God who exists in community looks at Adam alone and says, it's not good, it's not good. It's not good that he's alone. And so this is the start of relationships. This was God's idea, this was God's initiative. And there's two things I want you to see that God wanted to accomplish in relationships. And it's two things I want you to understand that this would be God's hope for the relationships that you have. Number one, God wants our relationships. Number one, healthy relationships, they display his character. Now, now not all relationships display his character, but healthy relationships display his character. And I'm not speaking about perfect relationships. We don't have perfect relationships, but healthy relationships display the character of God. This is why God wanted relationships for Adam because Adam couldn't fully display the character of God because he was alone. But in our relationships, we can display attributes of God. I hear stories every week about how amazing you are mariners at being friends to people. I mean, I, I love the stories that I hear. Oh, Eric, let me tell you about so-and-so. She was there for me in a crisis. She ran to me in my pain. Eric, let me tell you about this guy who stepped into this situation and cared for my family. I hear story every week of the amazing friends that you are here. And you may think that eh, that's not a big deal. It's a huge deal because when you have a healthy friendship, here's, what you, here's the picture you paint to the world. You give them a picture of our faithful God who's a faithful friend to us. And so when you are a good friend, a trustworthy friend, a faithful friend, that healthy relationship depicts God's faithfulness to his people. You are depicting that to the world. Some of you are parents. And some of you in here... We have lots of single moms and single dads and you, oh, it is so hard what you do and we honor you and we think so highly of you as a church. And you perhaps have wondered if you are making that big of a difference in life. Some of you, you might've written goals down when you were 25 and now you're 40 or now you're 45 and you look back and you're like, I mean, I haven't accomplished half of what I wanted to accomplish. But you are this loving parent who cares for your son You're a loving parent who takes care of your teenager, who pursues your teenager, who provides for your teenager, and you think it's not that big of a deal. The scripture gives the reality that you being a faithful parent is a massive deal because you give the world a picture that we have a faithful parent, that we have a faithful God who provides for us and cares for us. Well done, mom, well done, dad, by your healthy relationship. You're, you're displaying, you're displaying the character of God. 
Husbands, when you pursue your wife, when you go after her, like you did when you first pursued her and you first started dating her, you give the picture to the world that God is the one who pursues us and loves us unconditionally and woos us to himself. And so you being a faithful husband and a loving husband and a pursuing husband isn't a small minor detail in your life. It's enormous because you paint a glorious picture of the kind of God we have. So relationships, when they're healthy, they display, they put on display the very character of God. But this also means, and so many times I've fallen short, this also means the times that I haven't been the dad that I should be, the times I come home from work and I'm still consumed with stuff at the office, and this has happened too many times. When I have a hard time putting the phone down and when I'm not being the dad, the present dad, when I'm being more of the apathetic dad, when I'm not being the present dad I should be, I send the wrong picture of who God is to a world that's watching. When I'm not being the husband I should be, when I'm being cold or I'm not pursuing Kay, I'm not going after her with passion like I did when I first went after her. I send an inaccurate picture of how God treats us, that he never stops going after us. And so our relationships here, they matter so much because they matter even more than maybe you've realized. Yes, they matter for the relationship, but as Christians, they also, they're they're this beautiful opportunity to paint a picture that displays the very character of God to the world that's watching. All right, that's number one. Number two, here's what relationships do. Here's why they're important. They develop his people. So healthy relationships, not all relationships, healthy relationships, number one, display his character, and number two, they develop his people. The relationships you have are going to impact who you become. The people you are closest to is going to have a massive impact on the kind of person you are going to be a couple years down the road. Two researchers from Harvard They found this out in this massive research study they did. Todd Heatherton and Patricia Nichols, they did this fascinating project where they looked at people who make trajectory changes in their life, major changes. And they went into the research saying very few people do that. Very few people make radical changes in their attitudes, their beliefs, their behaviors. Very few people make such stark, I mean, just complete changes into the direction of who they're becoming But those who do, they found out in their research, one of two things happens to those who make big changes. Number one, they said, tragedy. That tragedy can cause you, can shake you from your numbness and cause you to evaluate your priorities. Sometimes it's tragedy. But then they found a second reason that sometimes it's not tragedy. Sometimes, and this is what they concluded after researching hundreds of people who made significant changes in their life, it comes down to your relationships, the people you're closest with, they concluded that you become like the people that you spend the most time with, that those people, those relationships actually provoke you to become the person you're going to be, that you're going to be nudged and provoked and prodded in a direction by the relationships that you have, which is why healthy relationships are so important because they develop you into who God wants you to be. This is what the scripture says about this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Your relationships are gonna provoke you one way or the other. They're gonna provoke you 
to anger or they're going to provoke you to peace. They're going to provoke you to growth or they're going to provoke you to stagnation. Your relationships are going to provoke you. And God's vision for your relationships is that they're going to provoke you in the right direction. They're going to help you grow. They're going to develop you towards love and good deeds. So as we wrap up this series, let me Let me mention three things that this changes about how you view relationships. Three relationships that if you really approach relationships thinking, this relationship with him, this relationship with my boss, this relationship with the people who work for me, this relationship does two things. This relationship's gonna display the character of God to the world that's watching us, number one. And two, this relationship's gonna develop me and develop the person. If you approach relationships that way, it changes how you view a couple of things. Number one, it changes how you view marriage. If you're married or not married. If you're married or you one day want to be married, this changes how you view marriage. It changes where you place being attracted to the person on the list of priorities. And and I'm not the preacher, by the way, who thinks, ah, it doesn't matter if you're attracted. Um, I think it's very good to be attracted to the person. I was, I still am very much attracted (laughs) to my wife, Kay. And I, she's stunningly beautiful. I think she's, uh, I mean, I, when she first walked, when I first saw her, I was deeply attracted to her. I still am deeply attracted to her. But listen, it's not her attractiveness and her beauty that have changed me. I'm attracted to her, but it's not her beauty that has developed me. Her compassion has made me more compassionate. Her mercy has made me more merciful. Her creativity has made me more Creative, being in marriage with Kay has developed me. And her being married to me has made her more, I'm just hoping you'd call something out, but um, that's just joking. I'm joking. I don't know what it did for her, but it's done a lot for me. It's done a lot for me. It's done a lot for me. And so when you realize the goal of marriage is to develop you, it changes your view of it. It also changes your view of tough times in a marriage. See, if, if you view marriage as it's just going to be comfortable and happy, then you, you will hate tough times. And I've been through tough times in my marriage. But when you understand that what God's going to do in your marriage is on the other side, you're both going to be more formed into the image of Christ, then you actually view tough times through that lens that God is doing something in us. He's using marriage as a tool to develop us and form us more into his image. As a pastor, I've had a lot of guys in their 20s who get married in their 20s come to me. And the conversation many times has gone like this. Eric, hey, Pastor, man, can I talk to you for a little bit? Yeah, man, what's up? Man, I got married six months ago. And um, before I got married, like everything was going great in my life. I didn't, I feel like I was doing everything right and, and, and I felt confident and, and like I, I just was, I was good at everything. And, and then now I've been married for the last six months and I, I just, I feel like I'm not doing as much stuff right. I'm just, and here's what I've said as kindly as I can say it. Bro, listen, um, you were always doing that stuff. You just were living by yourself and your mom was telling you how awesome you were all the time. <laughs> And now you finally have someone calling you out in your crap. Like, that's the real deal. <laughs> Sorry, that's, I mean, that's the real deal. And so relationships, they, they actually, they make us, they intentionally, God desires them to make us uncomfortable at times. And you're like, dude, I don't want to sign up for marriage if it makes me uncomfortable. Everything that grows you first makes you uncomfortable. 
If you want to develop muscle, you got to put more weight on the bar. If you want to run a marathon, you got to make yourself uncomfortable and run the marathon. If you want to progress in your field, if you want to progress at work, you got to raise your hand and sign up for the project and take on more responsibility and have a late night when you ask yourself, why did I say yes? But then you learn the skills and you develop and you become better. That's how you grow. Discomfort always produces growth. You can't grow without discomfort. And marriage, often by God's design, will have elements of discomfort so you will grow. So you'll grow. So this changes how you view marriage. This also changes how you view friendship. It changes who you want to be friends with. It changes who you think will be the best friends in your life. If you view relationships as this is supposed to make me better, this is supposed to develop me, this is supposed to grow me. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, the scripture says, the one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. So if you wanna be wise, you have to walk with the wise. The verse doesn't say, if you wanna be wise, walk with the person who throws the best parties or walk with the person who's the most flattering or walk with the person who makes you look better in selfies or walk with the person with the most social media followers or walk with the person who's got the best car. It's not what the scripture says. It says, if you want to be wise, you walk with somebody who is wise. That's how you are developed. Very similar, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Which means if you just want people around you that are always going to flatter you and tell you how amazing you are, the scripture doesn't say they're really your friends, they're actually your enemies. Because a real friend will, in a loving and redemptive way tell you the truth. A real friend will wound you, not to hurt you, but to help you. A real friend, like a skilled surgeon, will cut you to heal you. The friends who are real friends are willing to wound. The wounds of an enemy are faithful, the scripture says. So this changes how you view friendship. You don't view friendship as a way where there's no conflict. You don't view friendship as a way that is always flattering. You view friendship as a way that on the other side of the friendship, I am more developed into the image of Christ. And lastly, this views your, this changes your view of difficult people. If you view the whole point of relationships to display his character and then develop you, this, this even changes how you view the difficult person at work. The person who you hope you don't get assigned to work on a project with. This changes how you view difficult people. Now, I wanna be really careful here and really precise, so please listen to this. I am not speaking about abuse when I'm speaking about difficult people. If you are in an abusive relationship where you're being sexually abused, physically abused, verbally abused, emotionally abused, remove yourself from the situation. That is not what I'm speaking about when I speak about difficult people. When I'm speaking about difficult people, I'm talking about people in your life that just rub you the wrong way, that just get on your nerves, that just agitate you, that at times you're like, I don't wanna be with him. He just brings out the worst in me. Different from abuse, right? Got it? Those people, conventional wisdom in our culture says, if somebody makes you feel that way, cut them out of your life. Again, not abuse, but just difficult people. If somebody rubs you the wrong way, if somebody brings out the worst in you, cut those people out of your life. That's, you'll, you'll find plenty of advice columnists who say, cut those people out of your life. 
The struggle is God often uses those people in your life to bring things to the surface in your life so you can cut those things out of your life and not the people out of your life that bring those things to the surface. Sometimes God puts people in your life who do rub you the wrong way, who do grit you and frustrate you to bring things to the surface. You you will say, they just bring out the worst in me. Well, maybe God puts that person in your life to bring out the worst in you so you can leave the worst behind you. That's what he sometimes does. And about this conventional wisdom, like just cut those people out of your life. Listen, I am so grateful that Jesus doesn't cut me out of his life for all the times I've been unfaithful to him. For all the times I've failed to be the son I should be to him and the friend I should be to him. And so yes, walk away from abuse, run away from abuse. But difficult situations in your life are often God's tool to form you more into the image of his son. So here we are, we're wrapping up this series on relationships. Man, it's hard to do justice in three weeks to all of the different situations in this room. My prayer as I'm going into today, just because I know some of the situations in this room. How am I gonna say this that hits this? And and I can't. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna pray because what I can't do, the Holy Spirit of God can do. And he can meet you right where you are. Some of you, you may want to come for prayer with your spouse. You may, everything may be great in your marriage. And you want to come and ask one of our pastors or shepherding elders to pray a prayer of blessing over your marriage. Maybe you are filled with bitterness from pain of a past relationship. And and you want healing so bad. We're going to pray over you that God would bring healing to you. Maybe you have a wayward son, wayward daughter. We have pastors and elders that would love to stand with you in prayer and ask God to move. So I'm gonna ask our shepherding elders and our pastors and our prayer team to come forward. They're gonna be standing down front. And this is what we're gonna do over the next couple of moments. We're gonna sing like we always do. And then I'm gonna come back and pray a prayer of blessing over you. And at that point, I would, you'll be free to, to leave, but they'll still stay down front after, even after the service is over. But in a moment, right when we start singing, if you want prayer for any relationship in your life, maybe a prayer of commitment, maybe a prayer of healing, I'm gonna invite you to come and walk forward to one of these people as we sing. And they're gonna just put their hand on your shoulder and pray for you. And we're gonna ask God to do what I I can't do in this moment. I want to so bad. I wanna fix things for you. I can't. I wanna be able to speak to every situation, I can't. But the Holy Spirit of God, he can meet you right now, right where you are. God sees you, he cares for you, and he wants to meet the needs in your life. We believe that as we seek God in prayer that he does miracles here every single week as we pray and as we seek him. Jesus, as we prepare now to worship you and sing to you, I pray that as you hear the prayers that are offered here in the next couple of moments, that you would move on behalf of your people, that you would hear the prayers of your sons and daughters, that you would move, God, not because of our goodness, but because of your goodness, not because we deserve 
for you to move, but because you're such a loving and gracious father and a perfect friend, would you please move and respond to the prayers that your people are gonna offer you in these next couple of moments? It's in your name I pray, amen. Let's stand and worship together. If you would like prayer for healing in a relationship or prayer of a commitment as a relationship, you come forward and pray with somebody on our team. Let's sing together. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Bring and come to the end of yourself. Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling.
I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And every now and then we do this at Mariners where we call this a, a soft close, meaning at the prayer um, after that, you're free to go, but we'll still sing a little bit longer. Um, some of you I know need to get your kids and, but we'll have our prayer team here. We're, we're still ready to pray with you and receive you. We don't have an elder prayer room today. And so if you need prayer for healing, you come forward here and we'll, we'll pray for you for that too. Will you extend your hands and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. Father, I pray for your sons and daughters. I pray for their relationships. I pray this week in their life that your grace would be evident in the relationships that matter the most to them. I pray that you would bless them this week. I pray that they would be reminded that you are a faithful friend, a 
good and gracious Father and the God who always pursues us. Remind them this week, your children, that your love for them never ends. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace.